When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The following is a presentation of the Four Center podcast feed. From the center of the galaxy, this is the Four Center Podcast feed. Now it's time for Spotlight Star Wars with your host, Ken Knapsack. Here we are, Spotlight Star Wars fans and Four Center fans. Glad to have you here. And I'll tell you, it seems to be the case every time I'm about to record Spotlight Star Wars. You know, in general, there's Sundays, Sunday mornings, usually over here on the Pacific Coast on the podcast feed, but always seems when I'm about to record. Some cool little Star Wars news, some cool tidbits, breaks, which then makes this kind of the first broadcast you all hear on the Force Center feed, which means if I I don't acknowledge some of that news, you might question it, but I think you understand on the main shows, the Force Center main show every Tuesday, that is where we dig into all the news and all the stories, and, and that is where we'll dive into the news of it's a two-parter. Nick Nolte joining the cast of The Mandalorian. And then uh, the showrunner, or is it showrunners behind The Americans? Uh, what, Stephen Schiff? I know is one of the names for sure, right? Right, right? Uh, running, uh, show running the Cassian Andor series, which our very own Joseph Scrimshaw predicted. Predict-a-guest is what we're calling it now. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about that. Joseph's going to take a victory lap. And it's an exciting news. I will not lie. Had uh, uh, had no no news is floating around the Cassian Andor series, around the, around the not just the Star Wars media world, but like the movie, TV media world as well. Not a lot coming out about Cassian Andor. 
in my line of work, especially when I'm stepping to the collider offices or just some people in the business, you hear things, right? Yeah, I always talk about how this town is pretty small and you hear things. I, the Cassie and Andor series, it's, it's locked tight. It's locked tight. And uh, I'm excited and, and, and I don't watch the Americans, so I'm, I'm ready to see what it, the hype is all about and excited about the Cassie and Andor series. But the Nick Nolte news, I kind of had had under my hat for a little bit, like three or four weeks now. And, uh, you know, it's never a hundred percent confirmed until it comes out. And even then, you know, you have to, I, I'll wait until you see it on screen is, is a good way to say, it. but, uh, yeah, the Nick Nolte thing was, uh, floating around some, uh, some tight circles. Uh, one of them that I had my ear to the wall on. And so it's out at about, and I think it's great. I think I hope he is a cantina owner or something like that. But we're going to talk about that on Tuesday. The big show, the main show, the superstar destroyer of our fleet. So check in with uh, us on uh, this coming Tuesday. So today I wanted to talk about Mon Mothma. Mon Mothma. That's right. We've talked about Mothma before. We've absolutely talked about Mothma before. In fact, what I'm about to do. I may have done before. I may have mentioned this before. And, uh, you know, we've been doing so many spotlight Star Wars. Eh, I wouldn't be surprised. Things float in the back of your head. But it doesn't matter. Even if we talked about it before, there's a new insight to this. And it's something I hadn't looked looked at in a while. And we're going to be doing this again. I've decided here in Spotlight Star Wars, I am going to be uh, diving into the novelizations of A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. I'm not going to do a straight read-through yet. Uh, that'll be part of it. But I want to kind of look through, see it again for the first time, and see what we can pick up on. Now, the reason I stumbled onto this is I grabbed the Return of the Jedi novel, which, of course, came out in 1983, written by James Kahn. Not, not that James Kahn, but K-A-H-N, James Kahn. Um, based off the screenplay by Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas, the story by George Lucas, uh, probably similar to a lot of novelizations of even now, uh, based off early scripts and all that kind of stuff. The New Hope novelization by Alan Dean Foster, though George Lucas is credited with that. That one, based on an even earlier drafts, which is why the famous you know Blue Squadron, Blue Five, not Red Five for Luke, and in the opening scenes with Cammy and Wormy and Fixer and all that stuff. Uh, the other ones don't have that reputation of having, you know, deleted scenes and things that we didn't see. It's like it's pretty much as is. However, it's been a while since I poked through these. And so I grabbed the Return of the Jedi novel the other day to look up that little moment on Endor, no, Endor, Dagobah, excuse me, on Dagobah where Luke is, you know, understandably, a little upset at Obi-Wan. Hey, dude. You lied to me. You did not tell me that Anakin Skywalker had become Darth Vader and that Anakin Skywalker and Luke Skywalker, that name we share, is for a reason. I think it's too of you. Yeah, that whole thing. So, as you all know, a lot of you know, if you haven't read it, and I highly recommend you do, that is where we learned, well, we learned that Uncle Owen was Obi-Wan's brother. That eh, doesn't count anymore. Um, we learned... For the first time, really, whispered rumors, stuff in comics, all that doesn't, doesn't matter. But this is like the first time you sat up and noticed that Vader and Obi-Wan got into a big fight and that there was lava involved and Vader fell in and that was the history. That was the big crescendo to that story. And this is, you know, the first time in 83, you read it, you're like, oh my, what happened? So I hadn't read that in a while, and I picked uh, I picked up the novel and and, and was uh, read it read it again. I also reread, and we're going to talk about it another time. I reread uh, Vader's death with Luke, which I do remember. Uh, Luke cries, and Vader's feeling and even tasting the salt of the tears, and it's it's actually a really good scene, really good moment, and it's you know great in the movie. But I, it's one of the times I will say. This uh, Jedi novel kind of surpasses Return of the Jedi, the movie, in a weird way, uh, if, I, if I'm being honest. But in doing so, I was flipping around the pages. You know, I didn't know exactly. There's some pictures in the middle of this version I have, um, some of the classic pictures by now. Uh, and so I was, I was poking around trying to find the section on Dagobah, and I somehow stumbled into 
And it's only 71 pages in. Man, this story cooks, man. It moves. I mean, the entire novel is only, you know, 179, 70, 181 pages. Um, you know, there you go. Um, I could probably read that in an afternoon, and I probably will. I stumbled onto the briefing scene, briefing room scene, which leads me to why I want to just focus a little bit more on Mon Mothma. And again, even though I've done this before in some some kind of uh, unofficial capacity, so I apologize if back in the day I've talked a little bit about Mothma based off this stuff here. But new point of view, a new point of view. I will be doing just some direct reading. I hope you're okay with that there. So at the center of the brief room was a large circular light table projected above which uh, a holographic image of the unfinished Imperial Death Star hovered besides the moon of Endor, whose scintillating protective deflector shield encompassed them both. Mon Mothma entered the room. A stately, beautiful woman of middle age, she seemed to walk above the murmurs of the crowd. She wore white robes with gold braiding, and her severity was not without cause, for she was the elected leader of the Rebel Alliance. Like Leia's adopted father, like Palpatine the Emperor himself, Mon Mothma had been a a senior senator of the Republic, a member of the High Council. When the Republic had begun to crumble, Mon Mothma had remained a senator until the end, organizing dissent, stabilizing the increasingly ineffectual government. She had organized cells, too, toward the end. Pockets of resistance, each of them, each of which, excuse me, was unaware of the identity of the others, which, each of which was responsible for inciting revolt against the Empire when it finally made itself manifest. There have been other leaders, but many were killed when the Empire's first Death Star annihilated the planet Alderaan. Leia's adopted father died in that calamity. Mon Mothma went underground. She joined her political cells with the thousands of guerrillas and insurgents the Empire's cruel dictatorship had spawned. Thousands more joined this rebel alliance. Mon Mothma became the acknowledged leader of all the galaxy's creatures who had been left homeless by the Emperor. Homeless, but not without hope. And it goes into the actual scene. So that is Mon Mothma's introduction in the Return of the Jedi novel. And so I, I was reading this the other day, and I always have kind of, I love the character of Mon Mothma, but that's, it's a character that was just, quite frankly, it's just nothing in the movie, right? I mean, it, it's something, but it's nothing. And this came about, I was thinking about this because I was talking about uh, Amelin Holda with someone in and you guys know I love Holdo. I think Laura Dern, um, is, it's great to have her in the Star Wars universe. I would have been okay if they had tried to really stick with their hippy-dippy Luna Lovegood version, but Ryan Johnson says they did shoot some of that, but it didn't work, and that's, of course, the version that Claudia Gray wrote in Leia, Princess of Alderaan. But that said, I, I love what Laura Dern does with Holdo. I love what she represents. I love the connection with Leia, and I love the Holdo maneuver. You want to throw some science at me or YouTube videos that say the Holdo Maneuver destroyed Star Wars? As Boss Nats would say, bring gun with you. I don't care. It is one of my favorite moments in Star Wars. It is uh, stunning. It is awe-inspiring. It's art. It's painful because it's art, and it's art because it's painful. I love the death of Holdo. Should it have been Akbar? No. No, it shouldn't have been Akbar. I understand... Though this isn't me finger wagging or puffing my chest, I understand looking at uh, the death of Akbar, which happens so fast in a blip off screen almost, but it actually does happen. I don't know the exact time of death, but you see him. There's a shot um, in our Akbar in memoriam video on the YouTube channel. Our uh, um, Kevin uh, Smets, who edits those videos, found like the frame where you see, like, Akbar and the other mountain calamari next to him kind of, like, blowing up as Leia is sucked out into space. So I get, based on that, and I'm okay with I was I was It was a gut punch to me as an Akbar and Radis fan. I guess I just like the Mon Calamari to hear, uh, uh, you know, Lieutenant J.C. say, uh, all, Admiral Akbar is dead, they're all gone. I was like, <gasps> yeah. But, so although I understand that, I, I don't, but... However, though, I don't think it would have, it wouldn't, it just, it wouldn't have made that moment, if, if it's Akbar, to me, it just comes, that comes off as legends. It comes off as 
cramming something into that story. And the point, the big point is Holdo and Leia had a connection. And we don't see it other than as it plays out in The Last Jedi. And there's moments when, when Holdo was talking to Poe about when I served under Leia, she would always say, and, it, you know, it's implied. It's there. They have a relationship. They have a history. They have a connection because they say so in the movie. Now, say Rogue One, for instance. I understand a Rogue One. It's one of my first and second act. I don't feel like I spent enough time with the characters as a team, so I'm not connected to the team. So I, I understand that as well. I understand that. And as a writer, I understand that. You want to create that connection. So I know maybe Holdo and, and Leia's relationship didn't connect with uh, people as it did with me. But my point is, it's there. And this is the first time we see Holdo. You're connected to Akbar because in 1983 he pops up in Return of the Jedi for the first time, mind you. And I can tell you, as someone who was there, there wasn't like an Akbar fan club that came roaring out of Return of the Jedi. You just liked him. It was years later, quite frankly, years later, that the It's a Trap became this thing and this meme and this something we all say. Um, you know, it wasn't like you walked out of the theater in May of 1983 and were like, wow, that It's a Trap line is iconic. It was, a, it was a weird fish man, you know? And I, again, this is someone who loves Akbar. Uh, in fact, I love in this book, they talk about, his, uh, you know, he raised his fin, Akbar did. So it's only because of time from one movie that we become connected to Akbar. He shows up again. Now he's in the Clone Wars and all this kind of supplemental material. I'm sure in Legends, there were 72 books featuring Akbar. But in the movies... He shows up again in Force Awakens, which I loved. Him and Nine Numb showing up is great. And I would have liked Crick's Maidane, but all right, we can't have everything. So Akbar shows up, and he says, he's, he's got like two minutes of screen time. I mean, Akbar's barely in Force Awakens. He's just there. It's an acknowledgement. He came out of retirement. I love the story more than anything. Leia brought him out of retirement. Come help me resist and rebel one more time. Akbar's got the connection to her, so yeah, absolutely. But then, there you go. See, on screen, the connection is there because they tell you it's there. And on screen, you don't see much more than Akbar. Very old in episode seven, they aged his voice. How are we going to destroy the circular base? It's not like he brought a lot to the table in episode seven. So that said, I can understand where it comes from. And if you listening now are like, no, I would have rather had Akbar in that seat than Holdo. Fair point. I, I understand it. I'm not going to pull that out of your mind. I just don't think it would have automatically made that scene mean anything more. The, the, what was being sold in that scene was the stark beauty, the sacrifice. And Ryan Johnson and his team basically saying, look, Han Solo talks about this in New Hope, and we wanted to finally see it play out on screen. Well, you don't want to jump to light speed and crash into a moon, a star, a rock, a comet, a Death Star. You just don't want to do it. And as far as it being a military strategy, you know, and I, and I hear this a lot too, you know, well, I guess, uh, you know, well, they could have just done that in the other movies. Uh, why, didn't you, why didn't they do that in the other movies? Just send a Mon Calamari ship through the this Death Star. The Rebel Alliance my friends, did not have a lot of resources. The Rebel Alliance would not have been able to afford just launching starships, capital ships, into other ships unless they absolutely needed you. Even the move of the Hammerhead Corvette above Scarif, Scarif into the Dauntless there, that was Radis thinking outside the box because they had to. They had to sacrifice a ship or else they'd all be gone. So through the course of Star Wars history, I don't see the Rebel Alliance ever being able to waste a ship in that capacity unless it had to be done. And in this case, it had to be done. Holdo wasn't even planning on doing that. Holdo was going to control the ship until they basically blew it out of the sky while the uh, shuttles are flying away. So next thing you know, boom, shuttles are being taken out. She's got to do something. Ken, why, you're supposed to be talking about Mothma. Why are you going off on Holdo? I say all that. I say all that because I go to Return of the Jedi. There's Akbar. He shows up. Where is he during the first two movies? We didn't really question it. You just believed it. You went, oh, okay. Rebel Alliance. I thought, I thought 
Jan Dodonna and Leia were in charge. Then I thought it was Leia and General Carlos Riken. And all right, now it's these these folks here. And one has fins. It's Crick's Maidane with his hair. It's Mon Mothma. Akbar. They're in charge, apparently. And you didn't question it. In fact, it's not that you didn't notice as a fan back then. You just went, oh, okay. It's something I got to learn. What's the history here? So I don't, I don't know why we don't apply that to Holdo as well. Times have changed. Who's Holdo? We don't know who Holdo is. Leia's worked with her. When? Cross your hands. Cross your arms. When? You tell me when. It happened. They've known each other since they were 16. That's the connection and that's part of the loss Leia feels in that moment. Let me get back on. <laughs> Let me get back on topic. I'm on a pulpit tonight. Oh, I, had, I had a spicy dinner, that's why. Got some spice coming out of me. The thing with Mothma is she just shows up in Jedi. And I've always grown up with just saying, all right, she was there. She was from Shandrilla. Uh, she was a rebel leader. I, I don't know much about her. And I didn't remember this section. Even if I kind of poked around it before on a previous Force Center broadcast, I didn't remember. The section I just read, I didn't remember it. And even if I did, the reason it's standing out now, Star Wars Rebels has been completed, where Mothma is there. Rogue One, Genevieve O'Reilly comes back. She voices her in Rebels as well as we know. She comes back. And I don't know why you wouldn't put her in the Cassian Andor series. Why would you not bring Genevieve O'Reilly to play the character of Mon Mothma? More on just the character in a bit. So now with all that in my mind, particularly Rebels and Mothma's speech and the formation of the Rebellion played out in a little bit more detail, uh, the talk of the cells, the fact that they did not know each other. The the episode in which Mon Mothma, it's uh, season three, episode 16, I do believe, when Mothma gives her big speech, comes kind of comes clean that she is part of the Rebel Alliance as a senator and she's no longer going to be a senator and she's got to go into hiding because she's going to lead this fight against the Empire. It's a great moment. It's one of my favorite moments. And then there's that beat and the fleet comes out of hyperspace and the Rebel Alliance is kind of uh, officially started there. And then I think on Scarif it really solidifies. Uh, but that episode and around that time in Star Wars Rebels, these cells, Phoenix Squadron, you know, you know uh, Dodonna's cell, they start coming together and it's just like... Weird kind of preening, checking each other out. What are you capable of doing? Oh, you have Y-wings, we have A-wings, and X-wings are coming. You know, all that kind of stuff. And it's fascinating to me. I, and it might be more fascinating to me in my generation of Star Wars fans. And I, I, I never like to break it up by generations. But it's how, how you see the franchise and how it unfolds in front of you does have some weight. It does have some merit uh, to, to how you react to different things. And we just kind of grew up. The Rebel Alliance was the Rebel Alliance. It was there. And even though, so that, and which again, so I, I grew up in the 80s and 90s. That's what I just think. And, and, and I, you know, Legends, and I don't mean to keep bashing Legends. I know there's a lot of fans. And actually, we're going to talk about a Legend book here in a bit in another part of the show. Um, I tease Legends a lot, but there's there's some great stuff in it for sure. Um, tease, I, like, I tease Legends like it's a, it's a kid sitting in the back of the class. I'm such a bully. Um I, this 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 section, the Mothma section, I just read you. It just had escaped my mind that it's all there. It's a pretty weighty um, intro. I mean, it's a it's a bit, you know, a couple paragraphs in a, in a book that's not that long. So they take the time, and it's kind of like you know you guys have heard me go off on uh, you know loving the the revelation of Cassian Andor and even some of the re- revelations of of Jin and her history saw in the Rogue One novelization and I'm like where was that on screen I kind of have that feeling about reading this and looking at Return of the Jedi now it wouldn't have worked in Return of the Jedi you know would have been all right hi I'm on Mothma you all know me as a former senator who went into hiding like that's not going to happen in Jedi I know that and no one's going to lean over and whisper. I mean, it, it, in, in Last Jedi, we get enough uh, with the, that's Admiral Holdo, Battle of Chiron Bell, Admiral, Admiral Holdo. We get more there with Holdo than we do with Mon Mothma in Return of the Jedi. 
You know, Nine Numb didn't lean over to Wedge and, you know, that's that's Mon Mothma, the one who led, of, led us for all those years. Oh, I didn't know. You know, like none of that, none of that. But then as I read it, it just strikes now looking at Rebels and looking at Rogue One to see how much that comes from the original series that comes from this this book almost directly and what Lucas had in his mind and, and Lucas had planned and Kasdan wrote and all the other ones there and Gary Kurtz and everyone produced and everything. And this is, you know, but mostly it's from George's mind, the lore. And it's this oddly comforting thing. This new era of modern canon, uh, you know, I, I really love it. I'm 90% in. I think the comics... It's not even just about weird. Comics make some weird decisions, but it's not about weird Star Wars. It's just I'm not sure if I know or like those decisions. But that aside, I love what they're doing in the comics and the books. But, it, you know, the modern canon, sometimes I'm like, all right, we're, we are just off on our own path here. And I wonder how much we're creating on the, not necessarily creating on the fly, but just like going off into the wilderness and seeing what we come up with. But then I see something like this and I read something like this and it just provides me great comfort as a, as a fan of all Star Wars, that a lot of what they're putting out there for us to say now, see now is based in what is right here, what is uh, in the original text, the sacred Jedi text, if you will. Everything in this description of Mothma, other than like the elected leader of the alliance is weird. I don't know if she was necessarily elected. Uh, you could maybe change that a bit, but everything else, everything else she's talking about, like Leia's adopted father, like Palpatine the Emperor himself, they were senators of the Republic. All right, so, you know, Lucas kept with that. And then um, she remained a senator until the end, which essentially she did, give or take a few, you know, days, months, weeks, a year or so. But I love this one. This is the one I read. I was like, oh, my gosh, clearly. Clearly, Filoni and a lot of other people taking notes. And unlike me, remembered reading this. She had organized cells, too, toward the end. Pockets of resistance, each of which was unaware of the identity of the others. And there's a couple things to break down into that. She had organized cells, too, toward the end, which is what we know. We have 20 years to play with. And this is why I love this. It's fertile ground for stories. It's such fertile ground for stories and why I hear so many times, ah, take me to new eras. Yeah, you'll get it. You'll get the formation of the Jedi. You'll get Jedi versus Sith. That stuff's got to come. They, 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 under, they understand that. And they want to tell those stories up there in Lucasfilm. But between Revenge of the Sith and even during the prequel era, I think there's some great stories to tell. But between Revenge of the Sith and New Hope, there's so much going on. There's so much going on. Solo, a Star Wars story set, you know, long before New Hope or longer before New Hope at the, at the, at the halfway point of this 20 years, roughly, you know, even kind of earlier when he enters in the Academy. <laughs> uh, it's fascinating because we are not at this toward the end part of Mon Mothma's dis- story. So when Infus Nest... And her band of marauders or cloud riders are, are talking about rebellion. It's on their own. It's organic, man. And that hyperfuels, as, as Scrimshaw always talks about, that hyperfuel represents that. That's why she says it. Do you know what this is? Do you know what this represents? It's a new beginning. And in the, the novel, Mer Lafferty's novelization of Solo, for, for that scene to happen where Enfys Ness goes and meets Saw Gerrera, and young Jyn Erso, that's powerful. Because the rebellion is is not even what it is in Rogue One or in Star Wars Rebels. And Saw, Saw probably started right away. And we, we see some of that. We read some of that in the Catalyst novel. Which I, I which for me right now is worth a reread reread as well. I have a long I have a long list of Star Wars books to reread and take even more notes. So that's going on with Saw Gerrera. You know, he, he's on his own. The partisans are on their own. I think for a lot of the time of their existence, they're just, they're not, Mothma and Bail Organa are in the Senate chambers doing whatever the hell they're doing. We're out here fighting. And then Enfys Nest on her own. She might be hearing whispers, 
She clearly heard enough to go, you know, meet with Saw, work with Saw, talk to Saw. And that's what I look to at uh, Cassie and Andor. All right, we talk now. Now, because we've talked about it so much here in Force Center, it's, it's now just, I think, part of common knowledge because I don't think as many people read the Rogue One novelization by Alexander Fried as, as people should have. But this this thing of, of Cassian coming or the, being a separatist, we say Cassian was a separatist. That's that's kind of, that's I say I'm Russian, but really uh, my grandparents, you're Ukrainian and Circassian, and to have to explain that, sometimes it's just easier growing up in the 80s, believe me, to just go, oh, my family, my dad's side of family is Russian, which is not only true, and nowadays to say that, uh, people hide their email accounts from me. But um, I digress. Uh, to to say uh, that Cassie and Ender was a separatist is, is, doesn't necessarily mean he or his family would have been fighting alongside Dooku and the battle droids. Maybe they did. Maybe it was a different kind of belief. Maybe they didn't fully, uh, weren't, weren't wearing a separatist uniform, so to speak, uh, as if it was like a baseball team. Um, but they didn't like and didn't trust the Republic and were in a position where the Republic wasn't helping them out. That's some of the stuff we'll find out. So to me, I look at Cassian and being in this fight since he was six years old, I look at that as also being its own cell that's forming because it's it needs to on its own. Saw's doing his thing because Saw has been, tra- he was literally trained by Jedi, Anakin and Ahsoka to be a guerrilla fighter. And he loses his sister and thinks just all the stuff's in his head. He's off doing his thing. Uh, you got some of the groups, some of the stuff in the Catalyst novel when when Galen Erso meets Saw. I mean, that's tied to some some resistance and rebellion growing in this nest. All of her marauders. I love. That's why it's important. It is important when I hear people say Solo wasn't really necessary. Sure, maybe we didn't need to see when the exact moment was he won the Millennium Falcon. You're right, it's not necessary. But none of this is necessary. All that's necessary is you get a good eight hours of sleep, stay healthy, and try to eat three meals tomorrow. And if you can, be nice to people. That's the only thing I think that's necessary in life. But to say Solo wasn't necessary, I understand it. I'm not here to argue that point, but then I see things like Infus Nest pulling off her mask and having her cloud riders pull off their masks and her going, these are all victims. They're all victims of the criminal underworld, that Crimson Dawn thing, because the Empire's not doing anything about Crimson Dawn. They're not protecting the people like they say they are because they don't care, number one. They're, they're going around planet to planet, system to system, taking the resources, and they might need some of these criminal syndicates. They're probably doing some unofficial work or keeping things in check. The Empire doesn't want to have to worry about Savarine or Vandor. They got a presence on Vandor only because there's resources there, but the Empire doesn't want to have to police the galaxy. They got a lot on their, their hands there, so let the criminal underworld do it. If Dryden Voss has a lot of people under his thumb, and then we try to work with Dryden Voss, if he can stop killing our regional governors at parties, it, we need Crimson Dawn. We're good with him. And so Infus Ness's rebellion is based around all of those people, systems, species, cultures, coming to a point where they need to do something about it. And they're not concerned or maybe even aware of what Cassian Andor's type of rebellion is, of what Saw Gerrera's rebellion is. And then this could go on and on and on. And each one leading to the same thing. As time starts to go on, Mothma and Organa and everyone in power are thinking, all right, we've really got to do something. We've really, it's picking up. It's picking up. And then Cham Syndulla's daughter, Hera, starts forming her own movement. You read A New Dawn, it's so funny because, you know, I might even add it to the list. Jonathan Jackson Miller's A New Dawn is the first of the Star Wars new canon books, and and I didn't take to it. I love the Hera and Kanan stuff in it. And, of course, it, it gave us Captain Ray Sloan. And Ray Sloan's one of my favorite characters, uh, hands down, one of my favorites. Um, I didn't take the, to the novel as, as much as maybe I wanted. And back then, 2014, 
Maud Garrett didn't like it as much uh, either. And back there, 2014, we were a little naive. So we would go on and poke a little more fun and be a little more openly negative. And I, that's important to me because I'm still critical of some things in Star Wars. There's still some things I see, and I'm like, eh, you know. I was rewatching Last Jedi the other day. You know what? I really don't like the moment where uh, Poe and Finn are watching uh, Luke, or what they think is Luke, confronting Kylo Ren. I do not like the moment when Poe's like, no, 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 he's doing something. What is he doing? What is he doing? Too clunky for me. Too clunky for me. So I love Last Jedi. I will defend it to my dying breath. But, you know, there's those things too. But I, I, I choose to be careful and how I say that because I think we've gotten to this point where 1983, we see Mon Mothma on the screen. We see Akbar and Crix Maydeen. We go, oh, these are the new... These are leaders of the rebellion. Apparently, they've been there before. Cool. I wonder what that means. Now we see it. And if that came out right now, we'd be like, who's who's Crixmadeen? Where's Jan Dodonna? Give me Jan Dodonna. I'm not connected to Crixmadeen. I'm connected to Jan Dodonna, who I saw for 35 seconds in one movie and said, may the force be with us for the first time on screen. Uh, Dodonna probably appeared in 52 seconds. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank linkedin helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role in a given month over 70 percent of linkedin users don't even visit other leading job sites so start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So it's changed. So 2014, I was pretty, pretty harsh at times about the New Dawn novel. And I, I apologize to Jonathan Jackson Miller because, um, one, he created one of my favorite new characters in Ray Sloan, and two, it's some of the best stuff on Kanan, on, on who Kanan was before his journey started in Rebels, and it's great stuff about Hera. And Hera, and, and I think New 
moved on is seven years before New Hope or the start. Of, hey, someone correct me on that timeline. I, I could look it up right now, but I'm not gonna. Um, I, I think uh, it's around seven years. When in Star Wars, guess always guess eh, seven to ten or three to five years when you're trying to guess timelines. Pro tip. Um, and Hera's already on the go. That's my point. Whether it's seven years prior to the events of Rebels or seven years prior to the events of New Hope, and I think it's more New Hope, regardless, she's already on the go. She's the daughter of Champs and Dula. Rebellion in her, is in her blood, and she's not doing it just because of legacy. She's looking around and seeing a need. So she's on her own. Phoenix Squadron is her. She connects with this, uh, you know, fulcrum, which I which I love, which which I love. It's a great device to tell and weave these stories. You could have six separate TV series going right now, each one covering a different cell of rebellion, and I'd be interested. And you could connect them all with this idea of a a spy or a, or a ringleader, a wrangler, nicknamed Fulcrum. And it doesn't always have to be Ahsoka. It, doesn't, you know, it can be Callus. It can be all those kind of things. And I love that idea. And all of that ties to this line. Mothma, she had organized cells, too, towards the end of the war. Pockets of resistance, each of which was unaware of the identity of the others, which was great. It's, it's, it's obviously a plausible deniability thing much like the president in Independence Day 4, Bill Pullman. Why wasn't I told? Plausible deniability, sir. Um, so I love this. Mothma went underground. We see that. We see her proclaim to the galaxy, here's who I am. I'm renouncing who I was, and this is what I am doing now. Bye. I'm going underground to fight. It's right here on the damn page. It's been there since 1983. How did I miss that? She joined her political cells with the thousands of guerrillas, which we see in Rogue One, a Star Wars story. That's played out there. That's paid off there. Because we've got senators, Pamela and Noah, Noah Jabel, all those, all those uh, crew, uh, crew there, uh, sitting there with Dodonna. So you've told us. It's the only line they gave Dodonna in Rogue One. Come on. Mothma. Organa, Dodana, General Draven, and of course Admiral Rattus. That is there. That is that line. She joined her political cells with the thousands of guerrillas because you've got pockets within the Senate as well. Those are the political cells. Then the guerrillas. And then so the idea that Sagrera is too much for them is infinitely fascinating to me. Mothma became the acknowledged leader of all the galaxy's creatures who had been left homeless by the Emperor. Homeless, but not without hope. Rebellions are built on hope. Wow, powerful stuff in the pages of the Return of the Jedi novelization that connects to now. And I love, I love more and more the character of Mon Mothma. Uh, was it was a Caroline Blank, uh, Caroline Blankenston uh, played uh, Mothma in uh, Return of the Jedi, and. She, uh, I think, I do believe she's still alive. I should really check facts before I press record. Uh, but she, you know, she wasn't going to be in Rogue One. Genevieve O'Reilly was in Sith, as we know. Deleted scenes. And I think it is wonderful. I think it is awesome. Because Genevieve O'Reilly brings something to it. She, she's she's queen or princess-like. And I know she played Princess Di, Lady Di, uh, in a like a reenactment kind of documentary. So she's got royalty and leadership kind of down. She knows how to act that out. And I think Genevieve O'Reilly, you have this actress and you're able to, and she's willing to do it. She comes in and voices a character in Rebels, uh, which I love. And I love that Forrest Whitaker loves Saw Gerrera enough to, to voice the character and, and kind of, you know, caretake for this, this character that means so much. Uh, Mothma versus Carrera is, is an interesting, you could write, I don't know if it's a novel, but you could write, you know, a series of, college papers on how to rebel Mothma versus Saw. I really want to see more of this character. Now, the more I think about it, I look to the Cassian Andor series and uh, it would be a great spot to, you know, I don't think it's always the series. I've been so excited. I actually been meaning to say this somewhere on air. 
I'd say it in front of the Jedi Council uh, fan base, but unfortunately they're they're not all as understanding and loving as the Force Center fans, though I know there's a lot of crossover and I appreciate it. Um, I'm so excited for the Cassian Andor series that I've gone on a sort of joyful rampage trying to, uh, you know, trying to uh, think of who might appear in the Cassian Ender series. I want Saw Gerrera. Can you get Forrest Whitaker back? Just, you know, cut his hair, uh, take the take the peg leg away and bring Saw back. Uh, a young Jin. I, uh, I don't think you, I, Cassian cannot meet Jin, but, you know, maybe some kind of glimpse of look. And now Emphis Nest. You have, you have, um, you have uh, Aaron Kellyman, you know, bring her in, and then you got Cassian and or the, the series needs to be focused on Cassian. I, I don't want to take anything away from uh, Diego Luna and Cassian and or this should be his series. So when I say bring Mothma back, I don't need uh, Mothma to dominate four episodes, but she should be there, and it would make sense, and it would give a chance to really dive into this character that even in 1983 or really before that 80 81 82 while he's making this lucas probably sensed probably felt leia was the only one uh so he 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 brings in mothma another uh, female presence in the leadership of the rebellion and you know like movies have he just didn't get the time to deal uh, with the character and, and, and put more of the character into the story. You get Akbar, which, you know, I'm thankful for, but, you know, there's those famous shots and some deleted scenes of uh, Crix Maydeen in the uh, pilot's chair, uh, in the captain's chair, so to speak, of, of Home One, uh, just because they didn't know if, uh, you know, what's, I figure what the story is. They didn't know if, if Akbar, if it was practical to have that kind of puppet work, so they shot some backup stuff. With Maydine. But other than that, other than the briefing, Crix Maydine, who's credited, I think, in part, at least a large part, of, of planning the Battle of Endor, um, you don't see him and you don't see Mothma. But it's, you know, I love a little bit more on Crix Maydine. And my fan fiction in my head of Mon Mothma and Crix Maydine fall in love and open up a bed and breakfast, I'm still holding out hope that that could happen. But I'd like to see more about Mothman and finally give that character, not just Genevieve O'Reilly, the actor right now, but give that character the doom. Rebels absolutely does give uh, the review. I was watching some of those moments again the other day. Mothma's there. And again, uh, it's not her show. It's not the Mon Mothma hour. But she's she's given that moment, that moment that she becomes... Uh, the uh, the uh, leader, you know, elect. They say elected leader in the novel, but the moment, the moment that she she becomes who she is is there, and rebels. Uh, that's the moment the rebellion becomes what the rebellion is, and then I think it's solidified. It's a statement when Radis jumps the fleet out of hyperspace. That's why I get emotional sometimes because I take this stuff. Seriously, uh, I get emotional thinking about the Radis thing because that is the first moment that the Rebel Alliance was there as the Rebel Alliance. This is Admiral Radis of the Rebel Alliance. Squadron leaders report in. That is him saying, we are here. We are not hiding in the shadows. And it's not just all squadron leaders report in. Uh, Merrick with the Blue Squadron, the Gold Squadron with Dutch Vander, and uh, Red Leader was it old, uh, good old Pops there. Uh, not Pops, uh, 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 you know, gosh, Red Leader. <laughs> I was on a run there. Uh, all these names just crammed in my head for a trivia battle that uh, is still on the way. Um, it's not just about that, though. That's my point. Radis isn't just saying that. It's protocol. It is what he's saying, yes. But that is him saying all groups report in, all cells report in. We are the Rebel Alliance. (laughs) But you don't think the 20 years between Sith and A New Hope are fertile ground for storytelling? All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. So let's give Mothma the due. I'd love to see a little bit more of Mothma post-Return of the Jedi. We have some great stuff with that character post-Return of the Jedi, Aftermath a little bit there, and then uh, Bloodline. 
But by then she she is uh, kind of gone out. I think she had an illness. Uh, she was retiring. She was she was moving on out of the picture a little bit, which which is fine. It's understandable. Akbar retired as well. Crick's Maidine, we believe, is dead because the napkin uh, the napkin bombing incident in Bloodline. I believe we don't have the official answer yet. But gone, missing, and presumed dead. Rest in peace, Crick's Maidine. Um, and see, and there you go too. Why, why aren't people like Holdo should have been Maydine, right? I, I I was connected to that guy's hairstyle for ten seconds in nineteen eighty three. He'd mean more to me than Holdo would. Oh, sorry, I'm trying not to be snarky. Just drives me crazy. Um, <laughs> Ken, you're on one tonight. Yeah, you're right. I had a spicy, spicy dinner by myself too. That's the problem. Um, all that to say, I'll stop. I'll stop. I do want more. That's the final point. I do want more of Mothma uh, in, in the timeline after Return of the Jedi. Um, it's in, you could, you know, in theory you could do it in the Mandalorian, but I, I think it's going to focus elsewhere. The Mandalorian is going to be not so much the criminal underworld, but it's going to not be dealing with the formation of the New Republic. I don't think, I think you got to be careful too to step on that story uh, for other people that, that, that uh, will be telling those stories. But Mon Mothma, Formation of the Rebellion, it's fascinating stuff, and I hope you enjoyed my ramble. I do want to have a listener memory. Uh, I've been uh, been busy working on something uh, lately, so I haven't... Uh, some of the Spotlight Star Wars have been me kind of uh, uh, running around trying to figure uh, how to record on the fly here. Uh, so uh, I did want to... Um, did one. Let me bring up the script here. Yes, I did want to have a listener memory. This is from our Patreon page, patreon.com slash force center. You can go if you want to consider reporting. <laughs> Don't actually consider reporting, consider supporting. Um, now that dinner's starting to hit me, that's the problem. Uh, but this is a get on with it, Ken. All right. Uh, this is the listener memory. And this listener memory, we uh, ask for posts every now and then. You guys type out listener memories. Some of you would type, typed up and shared some wonderful memories, but they are, they are too long, and I can't share those here on Spotlight Star Wars. So try to make them a little bit uh, uh, concise, but here's one from Banks. Banks writes, in 2005, in my mid-20s, so we're about the same age there, uh, Banks, I was eh, 30, it was 30 in 2006, sorry, a little bit old. Banks says, in 2005, in my mid-20s, life was simple. Wait for Friday, get together with friends, head up a bar or a friend's house, have a puff. I'm sure he's talking about cheese puffs. The simple things. My best friend and I at the time were huge Star Wars fans. I had initially got into got into it when I was six or so. My brother and cousin would show me the original trilogy constantly. It, it wavered a bit after episode one and two, but by Sith, episode three, I was right back where I belonged. Look at that bank says, where I belonged. I remember picking up Lucino's Dark Lord novel, and it floored me. My friend and I would continue to go out for a beer with everyone, but around midnight when they were heading to the next spot, we would head back to my place again, have a little puff. I think, again, he's talking cheese puffs. Uh, But I would read out loud the Dark Lord novel to my buddy. We were in heaven, imagining what the hell happened after Sith. It was glorious. It's a simple story that I think shows that certain dedication uh, us fans have to Star Wars, and Star Wars is and always has been something we love to share with others and each other. Truth right there from Banks. So what he's talking about is Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader by James Lucino, David Stevenson doing some fun cover art. It is part of what is now referred to as the Dark Lord Trilogy, which has Lucino's uh, other book in there, uh, which is The Labyrinth of Evil, which flows right into Matthew Stover's Revenge of the Sith novelization, those three together. And I think at some point they were released together as kind of a little package deal there. Uh, the, the Dark Lord trilogy. And Dark Lord, The Rise of Darth Vader, which has some stuff that takes place on the planet Marcana, which comes back again in Tarkin. 
Uh, the canon novel written by Lucino as well, bringing back some of his own uh, little uh, canon, his own little uh, legends and making it canon. And four standard weeks have passed since the events of Order 66. This is kind of the time frame of that novel. And, yeah, the thing I remember, and I just want to talk about the novel first and, and then bring up some of the stuff that Banks was talking about, about Sharon Star Wars. The great thing about the novel, and it's completely legends and, and steps on a lot of the things that was established now, um, or maybe maybe from a certain point of view, new canon steps on the stuff this established. I just think now, and this isn't uh, at Lucino, who's one of my favorite writers and favorite Star Wars writers. I, I just think now that I think the stuff's a little bit better. I, I actually do. Not everything is, is is perfect, but I think the the post Sith world, especially with that Charles Soule comics, way more interesting. Maybe that's the word to say. Way more interesting than some of the stuff, not just in Dark Lord, but the, all the novels around this time. In fact, the, the novel that follows in the Legends timeline is Imperial Commando uh, 501st, and the one before it, they have the Star Wars Kenobi, which I actually do believe was uh, Jonathan Jackson Miller, uh, the author of New Dawn. So, yeah, and I haven't read that one. But I did read Dark Lord because, hey, it's Vader. And yeah, this is some fascinating stuff. And I still... Like, there's stuff Lucino put in here to kind of answer. It was the first time it was that thing of answering why at the end of Sith, Vader looks like he's, you know, Frankenstein monster trying to walk there. Forget the no, forget that, just the walk. A lot of people, the the no wasn't my favorite thing, and it's definitely not my favorite thing. And like those re-re-re-releases of Return of the Jedi where George made Ewoks blink. And, eh, all right, that one's fine. I can live with that one. But then... Uh, Vader saying, no, no, as he grabs Palpatine. Not my favorite thing. Doesn't change uh, any joy I have for Star Wars. But this novel, there's stuff in here that it isn't just Vader learning to be Vader. The creature, the monster, the half-man, the cyborg, the new apprentice. Um, it, it, it wasn't so much that. It was uh, him literally learning how to walk in the the outfit in the getup and Lucino really broke that down so when Banks is talking about him and his buddy sitting there nipping off back home having some cheese puffs I, I think that's what he means um and reading aloud to each other and getting excited yeah that makes perfect sense to me that makes perfect sense because I had that feeling too uh, sitting there going like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. Vader stumbled around because he didn't even know how to walk. He had just been burnt to a crisp, cut to pieces. His legs are fake. It's like a knee down. Uh, Vader's, a, Vader's a robot. You know, you put a new pair of shoes on me and I kind of walk around. Uh, funny. Imagine, you know, put me in, an, in a fully, you know, an outfit that fully engulfs my body and, and, and I, might, I don't have feet of my own. I got to learn. Yeah, you might struggle. And so Lucino dealt with that. He addressed it. And I remember at the time thinking, oh, that's a great way to look at it. Star Wars has a way of providing its own Star Wars counseling, which is not to say that you guys shouldn't be listening to Joseph Scrimshaw's Star Wars counseling, where he helps soothe some of your questions. So check that out every other Friday here on the Four Center podcast feed. But to the other point of uh, what Banks is saying, yeah, this is it. I love this visual of two friends out socializing and kind of looking at each other and going, hey, uh, you want to... Uh, you want to sneak off and read some Star Wars books? Hell yes, I want to read some Star Wars books. It is that connection. This conversation I'm having right here now with you all, this monologue from me to you, as I like to say, this is the same conversation I've been, number one, having with myself my entire life, but used to have with my friends at high school. I used to have my friends in college. We'd sneak out from our screenwriting class to go to the nearby Toys R Us to try to find the power of the four steroid Star Wars figures, and these are the conversations we'd be having. And that was before the prequels. So we had a lot of questions, because I'm old. We had a lot of questions. And when I was in college, that's when I read, you know, I did the, the nostalgia episodes reading from those articles from Sci-Fi Universe about 
news of the prequels and let, let's speculate what's in the prequels. I mean, that was the time. That's what we were figuring out. And we didn't have all the answers. I wish, as I grab it, I wish I'd stop to read a little bit more of the Return of the Jedi novel. There's some stuff. And we're going to talk about the Vader stuff. I think I might do that in the next one. You guys are all up for that. If you all are up for that, uh, we'll read the stuff when Vader dies. It's beautiful. It's heartbreaking. And it contains more clues that were right there in front of us. We shouldn't have been surprised by some of the decisions in the Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, and Revenge of the Sith. Lucas had them there. They were in the. They weren't just in his notebook on a desk at Skywalker Ranch. They were right here in that novel. All right, I'm out of here. I'm gonna go. You guys are the best. I love having you here in Force Center as an audience. I love having Joseph Scrimshaw and Jennifer Landa at my side, and I'm at their side. It is a round triangle of leadership here at Force Center. We love bringing this to you all, and you guys make it possible. I love this group of Star Wars fans. Someone someone said one, yeah, I like some other shows better because they're a little more, a little more negative at times at Star Wars. I'll never apologize. For being positive about Star Wars. Let's celebrate the greatest saga ever told. You know where to find us, but some of that information's on the way. Right now, let's do an in memoriam. A skilled warrior, respected leader, and insightful Jedi that seemed to sense all the darkness that was coming, but was unable to stop it in the end. Let's take a moment to remember Mace Windu. Born on the planet Harun Kal approximately 50 years before the Clone Wars, the man who would one day become the acknowledged leader of the Jedi Order was a unique Jedi right from the start. Stoic and with a steely demeanor, Windu's driving belief was a strong and sometimes strict adherence to the ancient ways of the Jedi Order. He learned this early on from his Jedi Master Sislin Mir, who taught him the importance of his Jedi vows. From there, he grew as a true Jedi and crafted a lightsaber that was unlike any other, a beacon to those he led and a warning to those he fought. As a growing menace seemed to materialize around the Jedi, Mace Windu began to sense the troubled times ahead. He was unsure of the young boy Qui-Gon had brought before the Jedi Council, the one many believed to be the Chosen One. Mace Windu never trusted Anakin Skywalker, feeling it was dangerous to have him work so close with Palpatine. He also sensed a plot to overthrow the Jedi and felt the Order should no longer keep quiet about their diminished ability to use the Force. But Mace never really had time to act on all those perceptive inklings. The Clone War was raging, and he was now a general. In the final days of the Clone Wars, Mace Windu found himself on a precarious ledge in the office of a Chancellor now revealed to be a Dark Lord. Three others fell quickly, but the Master Swordsman seemed to gain an advantage over the Sith Master just as that so-called Chosen One showed up at his side. Though originally planning to arrest Palpatine, Windu now held his blade high with the intention of killing him. He hesitated, perhaps thinking all the way back to when his master kept him from killing in cold blood so that a cult leader could stand trial then. Mace Windu wanted to kill Palpatine. He believed now was the time to end it, but that would put him at odds with the very core of his beliefs, and it cost him his life. Anakin struck first, and Palpatine, who was perhaps playing Windu for a fool, unleashed raw, unlimited evil directly at him. Windu fell towards the surface of Coruscant in his presumed death. There are some that say he survived, and many wish he could return, but no one can deny the legend and legacy of Mace Windu, a true Jedi. Thanks for listening to Spotlight Star Wars on Force Center. Follow us on Twitter at Force Center Pod and follow Ken online, including Twitch, at Ken Knapsack. Consider supporting Force Center on Patreon at patreon.com slash forcecenter. Go to forcecenterpod.podomatic.net for more information and use the hashtag Spotlight Star Wars to join the conversation. Until next time, this has been Spotlight Star Wars on Force Center.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.